0: Because we wonder why would Jesus commend this dishonest steward? And yet, if you go to the next slide, Jesus wasn't commending his dishonesty, but he was making a point on this parable. Go ahead. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see, this dishonest manager was using his wealth, or his master's wealth in this case, for future gain so that those individuals would welcome him into their homes or maybe provide a job for him or income in the future. And Jesus is saying, you know, the people of this world are more consistent in the use of their money than the people of the light are. And people in this world believe that this is all there is, so why not spend all you have? Who cares even if you go bankrupt? I mean, if this is all there is, then just use that money, use that wealth for today, because that's all that there is. And they live consistent with that. But we believe different. We believe in eternity, and that every day we have the opportunity to impact eternity. The question is, do we use our wealth in a way that reflects what we believe? In the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this whole topic of stewardship in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Today we're in chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15. You could turn there. When I think about these three messages coming up, the things we're going to look at are, first of all, we're going to look at how we give. That's our responsibility as believers. And secondly, we're going to look at how we handle what has been given. We're going to talk about the church's responsibility next week to handle those gifts in a way that is good stewardship. And thirdly, we're going to talk about in chapter 9 the blessings that come when we give. And by blessings, I mean the joy that comes, the freedom that comes, the fruit that comes when we learn to give according to God's Word. And so I think these are going to be some very interesting passages that we're going to be working our way through. Many years ago, when I was a young believer, I was in college, and on a Sunday evening, I went to a small rural church for a service. It was in the fall, and that particular night they were having their harvest offering. And some of you who grew up in those rural settings, you know what that's like. You know the farmers have their crops, and at the end of the year they kind of see how it's gone, and they bring in their tithes and offerings from those crops. Well, in this particular evening service, it wasn't for their general operating budget, it was for missions. They were taking a special offering for missions that, that night. And the pastor spoke, and the people sang, and then an offering was taken. You know, and I looked around in this small little church, there were maybe 50 people there, maybe, maybe 60 at most. And they sang some more, and the offering was counted, and then at the end, the total was announced. And that night, they had given $16,000 for missions. And I looked at that, and I thought, you know, this is a number of years ago, okay? So that amount may not sound as big as it would today. Maybe it would be more like fifty or $60,000 a day. But I looked at that small group of people, and I was really amazed by that. I had never seen that kind of response. And people who loved to give and who gave with joy. And it surprised me. God used that, that night, to touch my heart as well in this area of giving. And I have seen it in every church since that truly loves the Lord. Where God is at work, people love to give. Where God is at work, people love to give. Shortly after Paul's conversion, God placed on his heart a concern for the poor. In particular, he was concerned about the poor in Jerusalem, those believers Remember on the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. And then the Lord added to their number daily. I mean, there were thousands, literally, who came to Christ in that period of time. But what happened to those new believers is, for many of them, business relationships were severed, family ties were broken, they were ostracized. They were no longer following the Jewish faith. They had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And people took sides on that issue and it divided people. And so here were these new believers that were now kind of outcasts. And in addition, a famine came through that part of the world that was very severe. So these believers were struggling to even provide for themselves. And Paul thought it would be a tremendous show of unity in the church if these Gentile believers in places like Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and other places would take up an offering that would provide for the needs of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. The Gentiles had benefited spiritually from their faith and now it was time for them to give to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it would be an amazing thing if that happened. I mean, that would be like today, Christian Arabs in Syria and Egypt taking up an offering to help Messianic believers in Israel. I mean, that's what it was like. I mean, that's something that even the world would say, what happened here that changed the hearts of people in places like that where they would come together and give in unity? All because of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in this passage, urges the church in Corinth to take an offering for the believers in Jerusalem. And about halfway through this passage, he makes this statement. He says, see that you excel in this grace of giving. See that you excel in this grace of giving. That is my prayer for us as a church that we would listen to God's Word in these next three weeks, that we would catch the vision for what He wants to do and how He uses our gifts to bless others. Because it is through our prayers, our acts of service, our obedience, and through our giving that the church grows, that the gospel is advanced to the ends of the earth, that the poor are cared for and needs are met. It's through our faith and obedience in this area. So let me pray, and then I'd like to read the text for us, and we'll jump into the message. Father, as we come before you today, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the teaching that it contains. I thank you for the examples of those believers who have gone before us. And Father, I pray that you would do an extraordinary work in us in this area. I pray, Father, that our heart would be moved to give generously because of how generously You have given to us. And I thank You that the good beginning that we have made would just be that, that it would just be a beginning, and that we would grow in this grace of giving and join with You in the great work of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, I thank You again for this passage of Scripture as we read it today. Would you open our eyes to see and to hear what it is you want to say to each of us? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we excel in this grace of giving? How do we give with excellence? Well, let's listen to what Paul wrote here. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 7 as we begin, and then we'll continue with the story later. Paul writes, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Amen. How do we give with excellence? Number one, giving is a response to the grace of God in our life. Giving is a response to the grace of God in our life. It is a way of saying thank you to God for what He has done for us. When we as believers understand all that He has done for us in Christ, how much He has forgiven us, how much He has given to us, that He is the owner of it all, we are just stewards. You know, Everything that we have comes from Him and we get that. We want to give back to him as a response to say, Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us. And because of that, we are to give generously. Now, there are six principles of giving that I see in this passage that I'm going to share with you this morning. And I'm going to put three under each of these main headings. And the first one is this, that we are to give generously. And we see that in verses 1 to 3. Paul begins by saying, I want you to know about the grace that God gave to the Macedonian churches. It's really a faith story here. Just like we have faith stories in our church on a Sunday when we ask somebody to tell what God's done in their life, Paul's saying, I want you to hear this faith story. Now these Macedonian churches were in the north of Greece. They were the places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And he said, I want you to know they were going through a very, very difficult trial. Severe trials. Extreme poverty in their own life as well. It was different in the north than it was in Corinth. In the north, in these places like Philippi and Thessalonica, those believers were suffering from persecution. They were experiencing many of the same circumstances that were happening to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And Paul was even reluctant to ask them to participate in this offering, knowing their hardship. It wasn't like that in Corinth. Corinth was sort of free, and people were listening to them, kind of intrigued by these new beliefs, and the believers were able to mix in the community, and they were actually prosperous. Our situation is more like Corinth than it is like Philippi. Believers today who live in Asia or the Middle East or parts of Africa and Indonesia, their experience is much more like what was going on in Macedonia where they are suffering from persecution and poverty. And so here were these believers suffering from all these things, yet how did they give? Paul says that they gave with overflowing joy and rich generosity. Their trials did not dampen their joy. Their poverty did not keep them from being generous in their giving. That's astounding. I mean, when you think about it and what was going on there, and they wanted to give. You don't have to be rich to give. Jesus tells us that in Mark 12 in the Gospel when He talks about the widow's might and he was sitting there with the disciples one day watching those who came as they put their offering in the collection plate there and he looked at those who gave and some gave very large amounts of money but when he saw this widow come and put in her two small copper coins he said she gave more than all the rest because she gave everything that she had to live on It was an act of faith on her part, trusting that God was going to provide, and she gave all. You don't have to be rich to give. A child can give from his or her allowance. A widow can give from her pension, just like this widow gave. An unemployed family can give from the income that they have. And it may not be as much as you would like to give dollar-wise, but it may be more than all the rest because of the sacrifice that is being made. And when I think about children who learn to give at a young age, and I say this to you as parents too on teaching your kids to give, start when they are young. Of all the people that tithe in the church, 27% of those people learned to tithe as a child. They had an offering, you know, where they maybe, they had an allowance maybe that they were given, and whatever that allowance, they learned to set aside, you know, some to save and some to give. And they began to give 10% of their income, and that was a lesson that they learned and they practiced all through their life. 33% of those who tithe learned to do that when they were in their 20s, when they were starting to earn an income in their budget and they built that into their income from the start and they said, you know what, we're going to do this as an act of obedience and faith. So 60% of those who learned to tithe did so in those early formative years when they came to know Christ and they were trusting Him and those lessons carried over all through their life we're to give generously as God instructs secondly we are to give willingly and we see that in this passage again in verses three and four when God is at work in your heart no one needs to beg you to give no one needs to twist arms or try to get a person to give because God's people love to give we see that here with, again, uh, Macedonians, where it said that entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. They wanted to give. Chrysostom, one of the early uh, fathers in the church, said that it wasn't Paul who did the begging, it was the Macedonians who did the begging. Please. Let us do this. And it seems that Paul was almost hesitant to even take their gift knowing their poverty, yet they insisted. Have you ever had an experience like that where you have been humbled by the gifts of someone else because you knew the circumstances of their life? And Gail and I went on a mission trip a number of years ago to a part of the world where our church has worked with an unreached people group. And it's in Asia, I'll just say it generally. And we went to a village there among these people who have not had the gospel before, but God was making these inroads. And there were those who had come to faith in Christ. And we went to the home of one of those families there. And I remember, you know, in that home, it's a one-room hut, dirt floor. The only light in the whole hut was what came through the doorway we came in and we sat on what were basically, you know, shaved logs that you sat at on the floor or you squatted on the floor. It's where they slept. It's where they cooked. And as I was sitting there, I I, uh, realized it's also where they kept their animals. Because as I was sitting there with my back to part of the room, I heard the mooing of a cow behind me. And I didn't realize that when I first came in because when you go from the light to a place that's that dark, you don't always see everything. And we met there with them and we heard their stories and we fellowshiped together. And on the doorway of their home, they had written this large saying. I didn't understand it because it wasn't a language I could read and I asked about it. And on the doorway of their home, they had put in bold letters for everybody in their village to see, we worship the one true God. We worship the one true God. And everybody who came in and out was hearing their story of their faith and how they had come to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, when it came time to leave, they wanted to give us a gift. They wanted us to take they didn't have much. They wanted us to take this big bag of apples, you know, and we're traveling. I mean we can't even possibly eat all of those apples, but they insisted, they insisted that we take this gift because they had been blessed by what God had done in their life. When God is at work in your heart, nobody needs to beg you to give. You want to give, and you look for ways to give and to be a blessing to others. And then thirdly, we are to give properly. And we see that in verse 5 here. That giving involves more than money. Giving is a matter of the heart. And Paul said about the Macedonians that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. I mean, they understood it. They got it. They gave themselves to the Lord. And that is the order in giving. I mean, when we come and we bring our gifts to the Lord, God always looks at the giver first and then He looks at the gift. He looks at the heart and then the hand. You may have noticed that even on those sayings in terms uh, when the uh, DVD was played during the offering. And you see how God cares more about the heart than the gift because the gift is to be a reflection of what's going on in our heart. God must come first in our life, and one of the ways that we show that is by our giving. I want to give an illustration of this. And I asked for a volunteer this morning. And I'd like to have uh, Eric Ginter come up. He's going to help me with this this morning. You can stand over on this side. I'm going to get a couple things up here. All right. I was looking for somebody who was hungry today. And here's an apple, Eric. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that apple and I want you to eat as much of it as you can okay and you know and you've seen those disney movies where they have the poisoned apple you don't have to worry about that this one's good okay all right but this go ahead you can keep eating. and this apple represents our budget okay it's like our income all of our income you can think of it as that way and there's a lot of things that take a bite out of our budget. You know, there's food that we have to have, and so we go ahead. and You can keep, you know, just munch that thing down. And so we've got, you know, food that's a big item out of our budget. We've got to have a place to live, and so we need, you know, money for rent or a mortgage. Oh yeah, there's there's taxes, aren't there? There's all kinds of taxes that we uh, end up paying. It's not just our income taxes for federal and state, but it's the sales tax, or it's the tax that's on your vehicles, or the license plates, or all those kind of fees. They all take a bite out of our income. And then there's those personal items that we need. A haircut, I need things from the drugstore, got to have clothes. You know, and we're concerned about what we wear or how we look, and all those things take take items too. And then you know, if you got kids, big part of the budget, right? Kids, you know, and they eat a lot. And you know, we're we're kind of amazed. Gil and I are now in this empty nest phase where we're looking at it and realizing how much our boys did eat when they were home, and how different it is now. You know, as you you look at that, and so. um you know we have all of those personal items that take take care of things too and you're doing great you're doing great you know yeah i'll try not to make you laugh too much no and uh and then you know we have vehicles that we need to operate we have gas that we spend money for the cost of maintaining those vehicles the repairs on them or the upkeep same thing on our homes all of that takes money all right and you can go ahead keep eating Go ahead. Just just chow that thing down if you would. Well here here's the deal. When when most of us think about giving, you know, kind of the way that many people approach giving is that they take everything out first. Go ahead, you can just keep eating it down to the core. And the way that we approach giving is we tend to spend our money on all of those other things first. And then we give God whatever is left over. You know, we kind of look at it that way and sometimes people object, you know, I could never tithe. I could never give because you don't know my expenses. I mean, it just I don't have enough to be able to do that. And yet what the Bible instructs us to do is to take out a portion of our income and give that to God first. And so we take, and he says we're to take out a tithe and give that to him first. And when you look at this, and I think you get the point. Eric, you've done very well, and I'll just, I can take that now. But you can take, there are two different ways that you can give. You can give God the leftovers if there's anything left and say, okay, I'm going to do that. Or you can learn to give and say, you know what, I'm going to put God first. And I'm going to take out that tithe and I'm going to choose to live on the rest of it and you will be amazed at what God will do in your life and how He'll provide for you. When you think about that tithe and you look at the difference, you know, between what's kind of half-eaten, would you want to give this as a gift to somebody? Or would you rather give them what is clean and pure and set apart for the Lord? And so we come and we learn to give and to put God first. Thanks, Eric. You can go ahead and sit down. If you catch what I mean by that illustration, I think it can help us to visualize how God wants us to put Him first in our giving. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, the Scripture says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled with plenty. In the book of Haggai, in chapter 1, there's a story of when Israel was going through a time of difficulty in their life uh, as a nation. They had been oppressed, and now they had come back into the land, and they were trying to reestablish themselves. And they were grumbling and complaining because their crops weren't producing. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough clothes, enough oil, enough money. And what they felt like, as Haggai described it there, he said they felt like they had this purse with holes in it. And the more they earned and they kept putting into that purse, it was like it had holes and the money just kept falling out the bottom. And I know there are times when people feel like that today. Maybe they look at the economy or they look at their own work situation and people feel like, you know, I'm working as hard as I can and I never seem to have enough and it's hard to make ends meet. And in the book of Haggai, Haggai challenged them and he said, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. And consider your priorities. Because they were living in their fine paneled houses as he described it, while God's house was in ruins. And they had turned things around. And Haggai said to them, as a prophet of the Lord, put God first and watch what he will do. And I believe that that's a lesson that all of us need to learn, and in America especially, where we have been blessed so materially, and yet people are still struggling God is more than sufficient to meet our needs and provide for us in our current situations. And Paul appealed to the Corinthians here to complete the gift that they had begun, to put God first in their giving and see what he would do. And I want to ask you this morning, you know, when you think about this, about giving God our best, not our leftovers, and you think about this challenge that Paul has here, do you aspire to? to excel in this grace of giving. Do you aspire to that? To want to learn to give and to be able to give generously and freely and see God use you to be a blessing to others. I mean, Paul's saying, just like we want to do well in the areas of faith or in speech or in knowledge or in our earnestness, in our love, see that you excel in this grace of giving. At a conference I was at recently down in the cities, Francis Chan was one of the speakers. A lot of our youth have heard Francis Chan. Maybe you have too. He wrote a book called Crazy Love. That's just an amazing story of this guy's passion for the Lord and his challenge to go all out for him. I'd recommend it as a good read for you in your own life. But he shared some incredible stories and struggles that they've had. He's a pastor and his wife, and they had struggled, you know, to make ends meet and starting a new church. And he had just kind of said to his wife, you know, that we'll probably be poor most of our life in one sense. And um, there were times when God amazingly provided for them and gifts and for their church, and he shared some of those stories. But his wife said one of the longings of her heart was to be able to give just generously and freely and with excellence. And she didn't know how it would ever happen, but that was a longing of her heart. She said, wouldn't it be nice to be on the other side where you could just bless people, missionaries you know, or ministries that you know, or the church, and just be able to give so freely and generously. Well, Francis Chan shared the passion of his heart in this book, and when he did, he had no idea how God would use this particular book. Last year, they made $2 million on the sale of the book Crazy Love. And Francis Chan said, you know what? He said, I don't want to touch it. That amount of money just scares me. And they put it all into a foundation, and what his wife does is she writes checks and has been able to give freely and generously as God provided. More than they would ever have imagined. God is amazing when we step out in faith and trust Him. And we don't know the way that He may use us in the future, but it is a wonderful thing to desire to be a generous giver. I want to share the second part of this passage, verses 8 to 15, and talk about how giving is also an evidence of our love for God. Let me read it for us. Paul said in verse 8, I am not commanding you... But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. And then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Again, he is sharing these principles of giving, but he is telling us that giving is an evidence of our love for God. It is a proof that His love is at work in our heart and that we have been truly converted. If there is no desire to give, it casts doubt on a person's salvation. Now that may seem like a pretty strong statement, but I'm not the only one making that statement. We find that in the Scripture, and we find that in the writings of other pastors who have spoken on this. We find it most of all in the words of Jesus in Luke 19, 1-9. Robert Murray McShane is a Scottish pastor of years ago, and he said this one day to his congregation. He said, I am concerned for the poor, but I am more concerned for you. I do not know what Christ will say to you in that great day, that day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I fear that there are many in my hearing who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Isn't that an interesting statement? A heart that's not been born again would rather part with its blood than with its money. But when one has been born again by the Spirit of God, and you get it, you long to give. And the example of that is the story in Luke 19 of Zacchaeus, this tax collector. Zacchaeus was a crook. I mean, he had taken money from other people in this collaboration with Rome and in collecting taxes, and they could do about whatever they pleased in some situations. And he had amassed a huge fortune, But there was something about Jesus that attracted him. And on that day, this short little man wanted to see Jesus. And so you know the story. Our kids know the story. He climbs up into a sycamore tree. And Jesus says, I'm going to come. Zacchaeus, I want to stay in your house tonight. And here Jesus is going. I mean, he's going to stay in the home of this man that everybody else looks at as he's a crook. How could Jesus do that? And Jesus comes and He is there with him and God does a miracle in Zacchaeus's heart. And He announces to the people that He will give half of His possessions to the poor and if He has defrauded anyone, He will pay back four times as much. And what did Jesus say about him? He said, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. The impossible happened that day. A rich man, a camel, went through the eye of a needle. Can you imagine today if in the news a Bernie Madoff, a Denny Hecker, a Tom Petters said, you know what? I'm going to give away half of everything that I have to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, that's what was going on here with Zacchaeus. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. The Bible tells us that we are to give lovingly. And the greatest example of love showing itself in rich generosity was Jesus Himself. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. And we see here how Paul says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, infinitely rich in his home in heaven, he chose to become poor for our sake so that we through his poverty might become rich. He is the greatest example of that kind of generous love showing itself in giving. We are to give consistently. We see that in verses 10 and 11 where again he talks about their intent. They had intended to give this gift but because of the situation that had come up with Paul and Corinth, this collection had stopped and now he tells them to follow through on that because follow through is important. It's not just the intention, it is the obedience to do it. And I know what that is like too. I'm very grateful that Gail and I had the privilege to live in a parachurch ministry or work in a parachurch ministry where we had to raise our financial support and we know what it is like to depend upon the generosity of others to provide for your income. And I also know what it's like when people don't follow through on their giving. And when people say that they're going to give $50 a month and it never comes. Or $100 a month and it never comes. And I know that there are circumstances where people can lose a job and that affects things. And those who are missionaries understand those kind of circumstances. The ones that are harder are when people are just, they make a commitment, but they don't follow through. Or they forget or they neglect. And so instead of giving monthly, they give maybe 10 times out of the year. And you can think about it from your point of view. If your employer thought, well, I'll just pay you 10 months out of the year, would that be a big deal to you? Would you feel that effect at all? Follow through is important. Regular, systematic giving is important. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 2, when he instructed them on taking this collection, he said this, he urged them, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Do it regularly, do it consistently. You will never give as God intends until you develop a habit of consistent giving in your life. And finally, and I know I'm running out of time and so we're going to move along here, this, this passage teaches us that we are to give proportionately. Each one as we are able. Don't give what you don't have. Don't give if it impoverishes you. But in verses 12 to 15, we see this principle of equality and reciprocity. That we are to give as God has blessed us. And give to help meet the needs of others. And so the Bible teaches this principle of tithing in the Old Testament. And for the New Testament believer, you know, this principle carries over. Where the tithe for a New Testament believer, though, is just a guide. It is a starting point. Because grace always exceeds the law. Grace always exceeds the law. I hope that you have picked up from this passage that giving is most of all a matter of the heart. That's where it all begins. It begins with a heart that has been converted and a heart that sees the grace of God and loves to give back to Him. When the heart is right, Giving's not a problem. It's not an issue. People look for ways to give. And so how are we to give those six things again, those principles that are taught here, are to give generously, to give willingly, to give properly, giving ourselves first to the Lord, to give lovingly, consistently, proportionately. And the challenge for all of us is to see that we excel in this grace of giving. Well, I hope that you will take to heart what I've said today and what we're going to talk about over the next two weeks, the next couple Sundays following up on this. And that if if this is an area where you have never, ever tithe in your life or ever given consistency to the Lord, I'm going to challenge you to take that step and see what God will do in your life as you begin to give. And we're going to explain that more in the next couple of weeks too. But I would encourage you to pray about it, to read this passage again, and to ask God to teach you how to give.